0: Priestcraft. A new message that does not include knowledge about how the audience may come to God themselves. The primary intent is always to make others dependent on the messenger. It is foolishness to separate information about what the Lord is doing from instruction on how to become redeemed. It is vanity to spread new and personal revelation about the afterlife, God, man, prophecy, visionary encounters, and spiritual experiences if the primary reason does not focus on instructing how the audience can come to God themselves. It is dangerous to trust teachings that fail to give man guidance on how to find God for himself. If all that is delivered is a message about some great experience, the experience was probably not intended for you. It is the way to find God that will save you, not someone else's new and exciting spiritual manifestation. Still, People will go to great trouble and spare no effort to find someone who will only give a titillating peek behind the veil but who will do nothing to instruct you on how you can meet God here, be redeemed from the fall of man, and come back into God's presence. Pandering for popularity is at the heart of priestcraft. Priestcrafts are where people seek approval of the world but not the best interest of Zion. See 2 Nephi 11, paragraph 17. Any man who tries to put himself between another person and heaven, claiming that he alone should be the source of religious beliefs and education, is practicing priestcraft and will, in the end, lead both himself and his followers to damnation. All churches, if the Book of Mormon is true, are filled with corruption and priestcraft. The obligation to hold up a light is circumscribed by his direction that he is the light which ye shall hold up. 3 Nephi 8, paragraph 8. Nothing and no one else. He is the lifeline. Therefore, when anyone offers to preach, teach, exhort, and expound, he must be at the center of this prophesying, or they are engaging in priestcraft. When Gentiles pursue any end other than establishing Zion, the Book of Mormon calls it priestcraft. That is what the Gentiles have accomplished with the Book of Mormon thus far. Priesthood An association between mankind and those on the other side of the veil. It is a brotherhood. It is also, potentially, a sisterhood. It is a fellowship wherein mortals are connected with the powers of heaven. There are two brotherhoods. One is between men or women, and it is here among mortals. There is a second one between mortal man and the powers of heaven. It is the fellowship, association, or priesthood with the powers of heaven that gives to man the power. Priesthood is not a franchise. Nor is it given to control others. Priesthood, in its highest form, is an opportunity to serve and bless others. That is not true of priesthood in lesser forms. This high priesthood is a call to save, redeem, and rescue others from destruction. Man can condemn himself with only very little authority. But to raise mankind up and offer salvation is a greater work requiring greater authority. Men do not make priests, God does. Men do not make profits. God has reserved that right for Himself, see Numbers 7, paragraph 22. God calls them, whether or not men accept or recognize them. Priesthood, in its most meaningful sense, involves the holy order after the order of the Son of God. The Lord has revealed that only a very few of those who ever receive even a little priestly authority will be saved, see TNC 139, paragraphs 5-8. Priesthood authority cannot be abused. When it is attempted, the authority comes to an abrupt end. The focus of attention on priesthood skews what may be most important. It distorts the whole picture, all of the miraculous things that Melchizedek accomplished quenching the violence of fire, closing the mouths of lions, causing rivers to run out of their course. All of those things were accomplished by Melchizedek without the priesthood. When Paul listed the things that God accomplished by faith, He was not talking about priesthood, ordination, office, or authority. Most of what people think belongs to the franchise called priesthood really should be viewed as the evidence, or the absence, of faith. Priesthood has a really limited bundle of rights and responsibilities that, at its most basic level, involves baptism and blessing the sacrament. Priesthood is connected to heaven. Without a connection to heaven, there is no priesthood. The powers of heaven are the angels themselves. Priests must have angelic accompaniment to claim priesthood. And angels cannot be manipulated by the world ambitions of men or their self-will. The power of the priesthood cannot be controlled by men. It comes from heaven or it does not come at all. There has never been an institution or church entrusted with the power of heaven. The power of the priesthood comes only one way, and, as the revelation to Joseph Smith states, men do not have any right to either confer it or prevent it from being conferred. Heaven alone determines if a man will be permitted to act as one of heaven's chosen high priests, c 139, paragraph 5. Ordination Invites. God alone confers his power. The purpose of priesthood is to accomplish two things: first, to have valid ordinances. Second, to obtain answers or direction. One can have the first with nothing more than Aaronic priesthood. However, the holy priesthood after the order of the Son of God can give the second. See also the glossary entry, Holy Order. Priesthood, blessings of the The result of a recipient receiving an authorized priesthood holder's administration. The blessings of the priesthood endure even after the death of the priesthood holder. Although Joseph Smith died in June 1844, the blessings he conferred while here endured until early in the 20th century. See also the glossary entry, Priesthood, Power in the. Priesthood, Power in the. The acknowledgement of heaven that a priest's acts are authorized, such as in baptism and blessing the sacrament. Not every act done by men claiming authority from God is acknowledged by God. Only those with power in the priesthood belong to him, hence the Lord's saying. And many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, and in your name have cast out devils, and in your name done many wonderful works? And then will I say, You never knew me. Depart from me, you that work iniquity, Matthew 3, paragraph 47. It is necessary to reconnect with heaven itself to have not just authority but also power in the priesthood. That connection of power in the priesthood comes from the hand of God, not from another man. The powers of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven and the hand of God, See 139 paragraph five. The Lord's ordination among the Nephites required only his word to be spoken, and power was conferred. See 3 Nephi 5, paragraph eight. The word used in his conferral of priestly right was power and not authority. One should consider the difference. What does it mean for the Lord to speak to a man and tell him that he has power from the Lord? Is there a difference between having the authority to baptize and having the power to baptize as conferred by Christ? Power in the priesthood is, literally, the result of knowing and following the Lord. His friends hold his authority. His friends act within the same pattern, follow the same law, observe the same principles, and excite the same opposition as he did. Power in the priesthood also includes any endowment conferred directly by the Lord upon a person to accomplish an act, deliver a message, perform a mission, or labor on the Lord's behalf with his authorization. Principalities In the afterlife there are different rungs on Jacob's ladder where different powers are fixed, angel, archangel, principality, power, dominion, throne, cherubim, or seraphim. They may all be called powers of heaven. Principles and Rules What is the difference between principles and rules? Assuming you define principles as the underlying reason for the commandment, then you're also speaking about what the Apostle Paul called the Spirit of the Law as opposed to the Letter of the Law. He said, The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 2 Corinthians 1, paragraph 9 I think he was right. Any rule can be abused. Any rule can become broken even when it is being kept. Rules can become harsh taskmasters, inflicting punishment when they were designed to bless. The underlying principle, however, always seeks to bless. The underlying principle was designed as a blessing. When the rule begins to oppress, then it should be abandoned in favor of the principle. Rules have and do change. But principles remain constant. The brutality of the rules was exposed by Christ when he healed on the Sabbath. He did that specifically to demonstrate the futility of ignoring the principle while only adhering to the law or rule. In the English common law tradition there were cases at law and cases in equity. They divided the courts into separate forums, where courts of law could not do equity. But courts of equity could ignore the provisions of law, modify them, or establish a higher principle which resolved fairly a dispute despite some legal impediment to the relief sought. That tradition follows the Lord's example. Principles and noble. Rules preoccupy. See also the glossary entries, Virtue. Righteousness. Promised Land Every time the full covenant is given, it includes a promised land. The Americas are the land God covenanted to give His people. The Gentiles must repent and accept His gospel, not adulterate or change it, to be part of His covenant people. Notwithstanding our afflictions, we have obtained a land of promise, a land which is choice above all other lands, a land which the Lord God hath covenanted with me should be a land for the inheritance of my seed. Yea, the Lord hath consecrated this land unto me and to my children for ever, and also all they who should be led out of other countries by the hand of the Lord, 2 Nephi 1, paragraph 1. This was a covenant made by God to Lehi, as a dispensational head. The beneficiaries of the covenant included Lehi's family and those who came with them, as well as generations of Lehi's family who came thereafter. The covenant is made with the dispensation head to allow others to likewise be saved. We are all equal. We all accept the Book of Mormon as a covenant for us to be numbered among the Lord's covenant people. This land in particular is a land of promise to those who serve the God of this land, who is Jesus Christ, see Ether 1, paragraph 7. The time is coming when those who are not the Lord's people will be swept off this land. There is a land inheritance given as part of the covenant, and therefore, if the covenant is kept, there is a right to remain on the land when others will be swept away. The Lord said in the Renewed Covenant Ordinance, I will raise you up and protect you, abide with you, and gather you in due time, and this shall be a land of promise to you as your inheritance from me, TNC 158, Paragraph 13. Prophet The late 12th century English word prophet comes from the Latin propheta and the Greek prophetis, which literally means to speak forth, speak out, one who speaks forth. A prophet is one who has the spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 7, paragraph 10. John the Beloved spoke of the importance of a personal testimony of Christ by directly connecting it with the gift of prophecy. To have a saving testimony of Him is to become a prophet. It is no wonder, then, that Moses wished all men were prophets. See Numbers 7. Paragraph 19. All are invited to receive testimonies of Christ and are therefore invited to become prophets. When Moses re-established the direct connection between the chosen people and God, the Lord explained to Moses, Hear now my words, if there is a prophet among you, I the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. Numbers 7. Paragraph 22. All the prophets had the Melchizedek priesthood and were ordained by God Himself. The existing hierarchy between Moses and Jesus Christ could not have ordained the prophets of the Old Testament because that hierarchy did not have the authority to do so. The portion of the priesthood authority which let men speak face to face with God was bestowed by God directly upon the prophets, independent of the mainstream of the people and their leadership. Christ takes ownership of the prophets by declaring, I send unto you prophets. There can be no mistake about this claim of personal ownership the prophet's role is always to cry repentance. Priests may preside and kings may rule, but the prophet's voice is always crying repentance. Prophets have almost never presided over a congregation, other than occasionally a small inner circle. They always speak from the sidelines, crying for a return to God's ways. True prophets may teach, but they do not supplant, Now if any man has the testimony of Jesus, has he not the spirit of prophecy? And if he has the spirit of prophecy, I ask, is he not a prophet? And if a prophet will, he can receive revelation. And any man that does not receive revelation for himself must be damned, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Words of Joseph Smith, page 230 in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 312. See also the glossary entry, Testimony of Jesus. PUBLIC RIGHTS ORDINANCES Because of the potential and actual abuse by some priesthood holding men, I asked the Lord to extend priesthood to women. I was told as to public rights, priesthood is confined to men because of the fall and the conditions ordained at that time. Until things are reversed at the millennium, it will remain for men alone to perform the public ordinances thus far given to us. This order is not going to change until the millennium. I asked the Lord that if only men were to hold priesthood for our public ordinances, then could only women vote to sustain them. This pleased the Lord, for it was already in his heart. But he added, There shall be a minimum of seven women to sustain the man in any vote, and if the man is married, his wife shall be one of them. If you have already been ordained, then you have the right to continue to minister to your family as a matter of right. But outside your family it is different. Even though already ordained, a community needs to recognize and authorize anyone to minister for them. For any who would like to qualify to minister outside his family, he must meet in a community and obtain a sustaining vote of a minimum of seven women. When that is done, all seven who vote to sustain should sign a certificate. This refers to public rights and not to those rights and performances the public are excluded from knowing. The holy order conveys blessings and information that is withheld from the world. But men and women jointly obtain the holy order. See also the glossary entry, Ordinances. Pure in heart. And blessed are all the pure in heart, for they shall see God, 3 Nephi 5, paragraph 17. This is a remarkable promise. If one would like to see God, then he must first purify his heart. It is interesting that what must be pure is the heart. There are so many other things that one might measure. But what the Lord looks upon to determine purity is the heart. This is not just ritual purity, which had been the focus of the Law of Moses. Christ is replacing the earlier, ritual-based purity with internal purity. He speaks about the heart, rather than the hands and feet. Christ is speaking about beholding God, unlike the retreat Israel took from the offered opportunity at Sinai, C.T.N.C. 82, paragraphs 12-14. He is returning to the time of Moses, when a higher way might have been chosen. Purity of the heart is a borrowed benefit from the Savior. Man cannot become clean before God without the necessary offering of a sacrifice. The law of Moses taught this, but Christ actually brought it to pass. For example, Alma 16, paragraph 37. Christ's Atonement cleanses mankind, see Alma 10, paragraph 1 and Ether 6, paragraph 3. Through repentance, all can turn to Christ and listen to and follow Him. Until then, one is not even facing the right direction in life, some reminders of how the heart may be purified, let virtue constantly prevail in your thoughts. Pray to the Father with a devoted heart. Repent and call upon God with a contrite spirit, asking the atonement to be applied to your sins. Fast and pray often, that you may become humble. Follow what light you have to receive more light, until you have the perfect day in which you are a vessel of light. There is almost nothing about man that can become perfect in this life. The only thing that can approach perfection, however, is one's intent. One can mean to follow God at all times. Even if the dilemmas of life make it impossible to actually do so, one can still intend to follow him. Often, one may not even know if what he is doing pleases God, let alone how to resolve conflicting interests or commandments. One may even be making a mistake, but if his intent is right, his heart may be pure. This is one of the reasons man is commanded to not judge another. Others may be weak, foolish, and error-prone but if they intend to be doing the right, then God alone can measure their hearts and decide whether they are approved. It would take a God to know if the person's life, training, understanding, and intent are pure before Him. I suspect there are those we look upon as deluded and even evil, but the Lord views them with compassion and understanding. He may find their hearts to be perfect even before the heart of the proud who claim they have and follow the truth. Though a person may misunderstand a great deal, still, if they have love for their fellow man, relieve suffering where they can, give patience to the foolish, and water to the thirsty, they may be perfect before God. Impurity is like a compound that exists within each person, a compound that could be identified by the Lord and burned away. He is like the fuller's soap or the refiner's fire, where impurity is removed and something pure and clean is left behind. To survive that burning purge there must be so little to burn away that the injury from the burn will not threaten life. This is a useful way for each person to examine what is inside them and a useful way to reconsider their thoughts.